Hey everyone, I'm Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. This is not in everything that you need to know. This is more of a broad overview of what happened in the market this week. And if you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, we can go ahead and high five. This is a piece about expectations and returns. I'm going to be talking about crypto. I'm going to be talking about Rubion. I'm going to be talking about monetary structures and just getting really into this idea of our diversions of expectations and reality and discussing how that could impact how we operate as a society. A lot has happened this week. A company that has sold 156 cars is worth one hundred billion dollars. They were only expecting to raise about eight point six billion dollars during their IPOs. Inflation came in really, really hot, painting the Federal Reserve in a really strange light where it was like, did they have a big policy misstep? Oil is skyrocketing. Evergrande did not default, but there was like a weird news story that they did. And that's permeating throughout the markets, too. And then Bitcoin was an inflation hedge and then it wasn't. The mayor of Miami is implementing Bitcoin wallets. The market just still kind of goes up throughout all of this. There is a coin called GM. So if you're in crypto, GM means good morning. It's just like a nice little thing to say to people, GM, GM. The coin itself is roughly 500 million, which is crazy, in market cap. And it has the goal to flip General Motors, which has a roughly $80 billion market cap. On its Twitter page, it compares itself to other meme coins like Sheeb and Floki with $100 million in trading volume yesterday, probably deserves to stand in those ranks. The marketing plan makes sense, right? So meme yourself into existence. So we see this happen with AMC. We see this happen with GME, where it's like, if I can become a meme, I'm going to become a more present being. I'm going to become more of a thing that's happening in the world. And Punk65 is I think the creator of it. He tweeted out every day when the, every crypto native person enters the metaverse, they say GM. This is a free marketing for the GM project. So my long-term vision is that GM can take meaningful share of the meme coin market as the first truly crypto native meme to gain momentum as a meme coin. The idea here is to tap into memes, to tap into the fundamentals of memes. And it's not a bad plan, right? Like it's, it's not a bad plan if you were a meme coin. I think this is really interesting because it gets into the idea of FOMO fundamentals, which I talked about before, where it's like, okay, I've got to participate. I've got to be a part of like this, this meme coin that's going to be like the next big thing because of course everybody says GM, of course everybody's going to want to buy this coin that obviously represents like the very cultural essence of crypto. Being a GM meme coin is probably a pretty easy way to meme yourself into existence. And John Maynard Keynes, he had an idea around this idea, right? So he wrote of the beauty contest and it was not in context to meme coins, but he wrote, we have reached the third degree where we devote our intelligence to anticipating what average opinion expects the average opinion to be. Well, with this idea of the beauty contest in, in Keynesian economics, essentially people would pick who they thought the most pretty was out of six different people. The person who picked the most popular face of the, the prettiest, so the person who was like, yes, I think most people voted for that person to be pretty would be, um, winning a prize. So they win a prize if they picked on average what everyone else picked. As Keynes wrote, it was not a case of choosing the faces that were actually the prettiest or even what they thought was the prettiest. We have reached the third degree where we devote our intelligence to anticipating what average opinion expects average opinion to be. And there are some, I believe, who practice the fourth, fifth, and higher degrees. So no longer was it like, oh, I think this person is going to be the prettiest. You have to frame it in relative to how you think other people are going to think. That is how the memes get their value is because we're not operating on the basis of fundamentals, which are oftentimes conflated with fact, but rather we're operating in 
the way of interpreting expectations. Equities do this too. Stocks do it too. You're trying to expect how other people are going to respond to something that's happening. And you're responding to the opinions of others. And confidence and enthusiasm are very high right now because people are like, net, net, I'm pretty good at figuring out what other people are thinking. We're very assured in the idea that we are very, very good at this. Until liquidity drains, liquidity is driving a lot of the crypto market. And I'll talk a little bit about this. Governments are distribution tools. They're meant at a high level to take care of the populace. Policy itself is not perfection. It's, it's only a patch. We saw this with the Federal Reserve. So inflation came in super spicy. The labor market is a mess though. So the Fed can't really move on stuff. They can't really move on rates because the labor market could get worse. We have a lot of people who are just not working, whether or not they don't want to work, whether or not they really can't find work, whether or not wages are not where they need to be for that person. But if the Fed moves on rates and the labor market responds negatively, that would be really bad. So essentially they would achieve the opposite of what they want to achieve because the labor market is so funky. So policy is not a perfection, it's only a patch. There was a tweet, Goldman Sachs estimates that of the five million people missing from the job market, one and a half million retired early, one million retired normally, almost a million did not retire, and 1.7 million are prime age. So 50% probably won't come back, which is really bad from the labor shortage perspective. If we have these continued labor shortages, that's going to continue to put upward pressure on prices. And there we can see that policy is not perfection, it's a patch. The markets are funny, right? Policy has to be finicky. Uh, G.C. Selden, which I'm going to be quoting a lot of today, uh, he wrote this book called Psychology of the Stock Market back in 1912. And in it, he wrote, every human mind has its own peculiarities. So, so presumably yours has, though you can't see them plainly, but the stock market is the meeting of many minds having every imaginable peculiarity. I feel like I'm butchering that word. We're all just playing a game together, right? Uh, that's kind of what it all boils down to. Our minds are driving the underlying fundamentals of what we're seeing in the stock market outside of the policy world. We're all just pricing in our own peculiarities. When you think about sort of this idea of a revolution and how our own peculiarities show up in the market. So we all know that Zuck is trying to build out the metaverse and Facebook sucks, right? So it, it's done. It's bad. It's, it's done bad things. But the thing about bad things is that they have to exist so we can have a foil for good things, which is a really an unfortunate truth. I feel like I'm coming across as very much uh, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know what the vibe is. I'm coming across, I think, as like very intense in this video, but we kind of always have to have a bad thing in order to see the good thing like i think that's essentially what human nature boils down to i'll probably change my opinion on that at some point but that's what i think right now zuck produced something that spreads misinformation and, and fear but he also built something that has connected people from all over the world with big movements there's always going to be some reverberation in, in the world and there has to be a scapegoat for that volatility that a seismic shift in society creates social media created a seismic shift in society and zuck was the scapegoat for that now the question is will he be that for web3 as crypto builds out their own governmental entities what will their structure be and i participate in crypto like full disclosure i love it i think it's fascinating but i think it's important to just bring up these points i i like to be critical of absolutely everything will the thing that it brings be net bad but plant these seeds of growth along the way will we have a series of badness uh, that results in ultimate goodness with how we think about crypto with how we think about these next level governmental entities this is just like literally such an aside but even with a decentralized future quote unquote we still have to have distribution tools so there is something called curve finance and what happened there is super super interesting this is a very very high level overview but essentially 
team had to step in and nuke Mochi. And Mochi was trying to get Mochi. was trying to get on top of all this stuff. But a lot of community members got mad, even though Mochi was being enroaching on the overall system, because they were like, hey, listen, like that's not decentralized. You have to involve us in all these decisions. And it was centralized through this emergency DAO. People got really upset. And this is when we see governance and government begin to diverge. So sometimes people have to make really fast decisions in times of war. All policy and power distribution narrows during times of war. Just saying. So Rivian in the IPO narrative. So yeah, of course Rivian happened. I'm just banging into everything. Of course Rivian happened, a company that has only sold 156 cars. It's backed by Amazon. Of course, you know, some of course it's going to reach a $100 billion valuation. More than 10x of what they were hoping for originally. The funny thing about the Rivian saga is the narrative. So after all, narrative is really the only thing that matters when you've only sold 156 cars and have less than $1 million in revenue. All you can rely on this narrative people are like big plans you'll see oh this is just because the government will reward evs down the road we're pricing in all these future expectations that are reliant on policy execution i think rivion is more so a function of a very hot private market lots of venture capital firms are beginning to sniff around early stage companies because late stage companies are uh, too boring now they want to push them to ipo so the spicy venture capital investing in in private companies companies that haven't gone public yet and what this has done is create a very massive divergence in valuation so the best seed stage startups are now worth 15 million dollars more than the very worst startups who are also seed stage so just a huge divergence in value top quartile is going to be 15 million dollars more than the bottom quartile like that's that's a pretty big difference at, at that seed stage level <laughs> that's a huge difference a lot of this is exit demand that's driving vc valuation jackie tweeted this out this pitch book us vc valuation report in the final bullet point exit demand likely reinforced vc valuation growth public listing step-ups rose 1.8 times while the median valuation step-up for acquisitions swelled to 2.8x the highest increase on record this is super important with vcs pushing stuff to public markets or pushing stuff into acquisition there's an inherent craving for return not only on this venture level people are, are seeking out these 100x baggers vcs and regular people alike with the expectation that it's completely reasonable for 100x baggers to continue to exist. I think it is reasonable that we will have 100x baggers prevalent as a lot of people think it might be. Because as we saw with inflation numbers, it's very, very hard to predict consumers. It's very hard to price in expectations. And obviously, venture capitalists have been doing their deal for a while. There's a lot that I don't know, and I'm constantly learning, so I, I could be getting all of this wrong. VCs know a lot more than I do. I just want to say that. I'm not trying to be like, I know everything in the freaking world. But there is a continued divergence across the board. I think Tiger Global is kind of making all this really prevalent. They're eating everybody's lunch because they're just able to execute. They move so much faster. They're able to throw spaghetti at the wall because they have the capital in order to do so. And they're an absolute freaking machine. Like they go in, they say, all right, here's your money. Let's freaking go, dude. They're pricing people out of the market and you can't play the game if you can't pay for a ticket. And not everyone can be Tiger. But the issue is there's this sort of Silicon Valley mindset where venture scale returns are a norm on any investment. Everyone's expecting these 100x baggers. Everyone's expecting these huge valuations. And Tiger pressing valuations up to 
the stratosphere compounded by other people trying to keep up warps our entire sense of reality. And there's a continued divergence between expectations and reality. It's really easy to expect 100x returns when the, when the market's done what it's done over the past year, but a lot of this is broadly a function of liquidity and access. I think this is really important to talk about, like this divergent in expectations. Arlen asked a really great question on, on Twitter. Would you take 10 million today or 100 million in five years if you knew either was guaranteed, but you could only do one? The correct economic answer is 100 million, but who cares? Several said that they could turn that 10 million into 100 million over the five-year time frame, which would put them as quite, quite the investor. <laughs> that would require a 60% year return, and that's super, super high. You can take out a loan and leverage that loan, buy real estate, buy dog coins, and do all these different money hacks. So it probably is possible. But the main issue I have with it is like, sure, maybe you can turn that 10 million into 100 million over five years. I, I hope you can. I'm rooting for you. But the main issue is expectations. So there's this continued divergence between expectations and reality. Ben tweeted out this image, what investors expect and what advisors think are realistic. People expect 17.5% annualized returns. Um, for context, the S&P 500 returns about 8% per year, and probably even that is not going to be sustainable over the long run, considering where valuations are at right now. And we have it in our heads that this sort of market environment is normal, but it's not normal. It's not normal for anyone, really. This is from Next Few Ventures, and it's a look at the top 5% of different VC funds, and they haven't done super hot. Actually, VC has underperformed NDX in the last 10 years, unless you were in the top 5% of VC funds. This is over a 10-year basis. Obviously, like the last five years have been freaking nuts. It's been 11x returns. I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and they were like, it's totally normal to expect 20x returns. Obviously, this is all an aggregate. Like, I think this person probably can achieve 20x returns because they're a great angel investor. But most of the time, having that expectation in your head isn't great. And and we have it in our heads that this sort of market environment is normal and that this sort of return profile is normal. And Ho Nam, who's, who's absolutely an incredible VC, tweeted about this divergence in S&P returns, people expecting 17.5% returns versus 8% that the S&P normally delivers. He said, wow, that's insane. I knew expectations were too high, but I had no idea it was that high. History will rhyme again. Not sure about negative returns, but 8% forward return would be amazing, less than half of the expected forward return in a best case scenario. This will likely be the new normal for a while, but all of this predicates liquidity and flows. The reason that stocks go up is because money goes into them. People speculate on call options, market dynamics force the price up. And obviously, like I said, I'm invested in both the stock market and the crypto market. This is just me um, just talking about this stuff because I don't think enough people are like, hey, um, actually we should have a conversation about like expectations and sort of if people wake up one day and they're like, oh, I thought I was gonna make a hundred eggs on this meme coin. Speculation expectations go hand in hand because if you you're going to speculate you think expectations are going to be high and so we see this in the market money go in price go up and once money stops going in and we're going to see this because the fed is going to start tapering and it becomes apparent that there's no more fiscal stimulus coming when credit conditions tighten all of that's going to put downward pressure on prices across the board because there isn't that same element of inflows and obviously i'm simplifying things quite a bit there's other things that go into the market besides inflows but the underlying dynamics shift is still the same less money less go up there is this book that was written in freaking 1912 is like one of the best things that I've read on the stock market. I highly recommend you go read it. And he writes, it is generally more difficult to distinguish the end of a stock market boom than to decide when a panic is definitely over. The principle of the thing is simple enough. It was an oversupply of liquid capital that started the market upward after the panic was over. 
oversupply of liquid capital that started the market upward after the panic was over. Similarly, it is an exhaustion of liquid capital that brings the bull movement to an end. Less money go in, less thing go up. He asked two key questions in his book. What effect do varying mental attitudes of the public have on the course of prices? How is the character of the market influenced by psychological conditions? How does the mental attitude of the individual trader affect his chances of success? To what extent and how can he overcome the obstacles placed in his pathway by his own hopes and fears gets down into human nature? How are humans going to interact with the stock market? There was a really excellent Odd Lots podcast on the grain markets with Angie Setzer. One of the most beautiful things that Angie said, she said that the farmer is an eternal optimist and they have to be. They have to keep the cattle. They have to keep growing the food. They have to keep on, they have to keep the course because a huge big world is relying on them and that requires an element of faith. Where when you zoom out, like people play a really funny role in, in, in like this broader ecosystem that we exist in. So we're little builders and doers. We're the conduits of economic growth. But because of that, we're also the conduits of economic destruction. We're in a society that prioritizes this concept of GDP growth above everything else. And I think it's really interesting to kind of like think about farmers and the role that they play, especially in context to like all this sort of less tangible, less physical things that we talk about with the stock market. I'm definitely old man yelling at cloud in this video. The mental attitude of the public is shifting. No longer is it desirable to sit behind a desk when you can make 400x on sheep coin. Is there a rule where, where meme lord is a viable career path? And what does that mean for productivity? What does that mean for GDP growth, for a productive economy? What does that mean for how we produce, for intellectual capital? If we have speculators instead of builders, but do the speculators become builders? Like, what is this pathway going to look like? Will the money generated by the meme cycle result in innovation that we never could have dreamed of? Or will there be a total collapse in the faith because of huge misalignment between expectations and calculated reality? Will people say, oh shoot, I quit my job. I can't make 400X on, on Shibcoin. I don't know. The markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solventness. So for as long as the absurdity can persist, I suppose, and you know, perhaps none of it really needs to make sense at all. As Luigi wrote, life is full of strange absurdities, which strangely enough do not even need to appear plausible since they are true. It's absurd and, and it's true, right? Oh. Does it need to have meaning? I don't know. So yeah, this is a lot. This is kind of on government structures. This is on the meme cycle. This is on innovation. This is on expectations. This is on venture capital. This is on Rivian. Thanks so much for hanging out. I'll be back on Monday um, with another piece on everything that you need to know. Thanks so much for hanging out with me this week. I, I, I've enjoyed producing a video every day. I hope that they've been helpful. As always, feel free to comment below if, if something can be more helpful or if you want questions on anything. I have several requests for different videos to make, so feel free to send and request as well. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, we can go ahead and high five. But yeah, thanks so much for hanging out and I will talk to you soon.